consciência. Welcome back to the Opinionated Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Crouch, and it is finally the return of the one, the only, Justin. I have crippling depression. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's like it's like you, you, you never even... Never even left. Never, never even left, left. yeah. Um, so today, completely changing directions based on the last episode but today we're just going to indulge ourselves and uh bring out the inner nerd as a lot of people would say and talk about the original trilogy of star wars and basically how we were introduced to the star wars franchise and how it's you know influenced other things that we have liked in the past and future and present whatever i'd say analyze not in depth, of course, but just kind of give our own impressions and opinions <laughs> about the original trilogy. Let's pull some uh, like English teacher thing, like uh, ninth grade, got to rhetorically analyze uh, the lightsaber battle in episode four. Oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, and probably bring up some questions uh, that we had for ourselves and maybe. So I guess we can start with how we were introduced to a star wars and which movie that we saw first or just kind of roll with that oh man having to think back to when i that's like asking oh hey when did you learn to breathe i think i saw them in the chronological order so i actually watched episode one first and i mean when you when you watch episode one as a kid you know it's funny but i really think i watched them chronologically but i was very young when that happened, so I, I still to this day do not remember a whole lot of what happened in the prequels, but I've since rewatched the sequels a lot, and you know, not the sequels, the original trilogy. I've rewatched those a lot. You know, I understand what's going on in those now. I think I was maybe five or six when I was introduced to Star Wars by my dad. Uh, he picked up the the VHS collection from a thrift store that we used to go to uh, called Blue Suede Shoes. We used to spend almost every single Saturday in there just looking at, you know, it's a thrift store, so you find yeah. almost anything. I would always look for, like, the Goosebumps books or whatever. But one time oh, he saw yeah. all three of the original trilogy movies on VHS. I cannot remember if they were special edition or not. They looked pretty old, so I think they were the original cuts on VHS, but I could be completely wrong. Uh, but I I can for sure remember the art on one of them had Yoda's face on it, and I believe it was Empire. No, it wasn't Empire, I'm lying. I think it was Return of the Jedi that had Yoda on the front of the VHS. I'm going to double check that real quick. Yeah, it was Return of the Jedi cuz the the yeah, it was the original. He did have the originals on uh, VHS. Oh. Look now looking at the titles, which is really cool. The yeah, the first one has just Darth it just literally says in blue 
letters Star Wars, you know, you all know the logo. Yeah, it's just Star Wars. And it and it just has, that point, that's all it was. <laughs> it has half of Darth Vader's face and then uh an X Wing chasing after Darth Vader's ship that he has during the trench run close to the end of the movie. The second one, the artwork has half of a stormtrooper face, the ATATs from the beginning of the movie chasing after the rebels at Hoth. And then the one I remember most fondly, it was Return of the Jedi, and it has half of Yoda's face, and then below Yoda it has Luke and Darth Vader. And I believe that was the first Star Wars movie I had ever watched. But during that period in my life, when I was five or six or seven, as my dad has said, that I was... I I watched Star Wars, but I was more into Harry Potter, and I watched that just constantly. I would love to go more in-depth about that, but that's definitely for another episode. But yeah, I would say my first introduction with, with Star Wars was probably watching Return of the Jedi, the original cut, on VHS. Honestly, the most amount of Star Wars I've engaged with was probably uh, the Lego Star Wars series on the Wii. Like, I played that game with my brother religiously. Yeah, and... I... I had, on my PlayStation 2, I had the original Lego Star Wars with the original trilogy. Finally, when the Complete Saga came out on the Wii, I finally got that, but I never finished it because, again, it was on the Wii. Tried playing it, but the the controls are just weird. I mean, I, I figured out the controls, but uh, I don't think I ever 100% the game because I remember I was missing a single red brick and, like, a single... Of the uh, construction things, I remember. You know, I remember which one it was. It was the uh, Tatooine level in Episode Four, and I remember you had to uh, find some way to get across this really large ledge, and I just never got past. I never got there. See, I've I've tried to stop myself from going back to the Lego Star Wars. Um, games because you know the if any of you have heard about the Skywalker Saga remaster they're basically remastering all of the Lego Star Wars games doing the voiceovers now re- uh, updating every level pretty much including every single Star Wars character you could think of and it just looks amazing but they keep delaying it and to for an optimistic outlook I think they're delaying it so they can add the Clone War um that, levels the one thing i want to know about uh the lego star wars lego star wars i definitely played the games a lot more frequently as a kid than i watched the movies so like yeah, every time i would watch the movie it just like even now i still just recount all the levels <laughs> oh yeah yeah because that's what i was exposed to first so it just makes yeah, me yeah yeah the legos and as we were watching all the movies, like it was like, oh yeah, that was a fun level at this part yeah, of the movie. That was you a, know? And that was a not fun level. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully. Recently, just so we wouldn't just go off a of memory off of maybe a year of not watching it or whatever, we decided that we were just going to watch Party, all three movies. Not in one sitting, of course, because, you know, we actually have lives. Shocker, I know. Oh, um, cool. <laughs> Happens to me. We thought it was a good idea to just rewatch all the movies. That way, we would have it fresh on our minds, and we would be more prepared to talk about it in our episode. I think one thing I really took away from actually watching the original trilogy is that you could really tell that this was that 
like it's a, it has that symptom of like uh first first in the series so the rest of the lore isn't there at all and so the like the one i noticed is that they made reference to god hell and praying in the film and i mean sure it's the first movie it's like all the rest of the lore doesn't exist yet so that makes sense but now you come back to it after years of all this expanded lore and it's like hang on you know yeah i mean that's just kind of how it is for old movies like they they don't necessarily age well in a sense yeah they some that's, of the dialogue yeah the dialogue doesn't age well and it's just it it happens it's just the the time at a place when that first came out. When was that movie came out? Like the 70s, 60s? Se- late 70s. Uh, 77 is when it came out. 1977. 77. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I also noted that to the I think Star Wars was one of the first films that didn't have an opening credits. Uh, I also watched uh, Willy Wonka. And there were so many beginning. There was so much in the beginning credits that the actual end credits was very small and i guess star wars really flipped that on time yeah but it's it's still nowadays there's a lot of opening credits like it started it but the way i was saying is like they probably like i think it was a smart idea for them to remove the opening credits in from star wars because it would remove the immersion of you know it's space you don't want to see letters flying across screen i know that that sounds stupid because you know the opening crawl but it's actually pertaining to the story. It's not just, you know, oh, this is just all a movie. It's all a, you know, all fantasy and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it did that one pretty well. Because, like, as soon as you see Star Wars, you're like, okay, this is it, baby. Yeah, you're just and immediately you're in, you're into in. the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, as it was the first movie in the entire franchise... Um, New Hope was, it's what I grew up knowing because, you know, it was past the prequels and that's when they established, like, a full universe and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But back in the day, it was just called Star Wars. Nothing more that, you know, that's... That was it, baby. Um, Like we said, came out in 1977 and it is exactly two hours and one minute of just amazingness. And those end credits really put it over that one minute mark. Yeah. <laughs> I just had to. I, I think any person who's just remotely interested in movies and you know, like the opening to New Hope is just so iconic. Like it's it's oh, easily yeah. recognizable with the Star Destroyer chasing after the, the ship. Um I don't know the I don't, ships. I don't know the ship names. I don't know the ship names off the top of my head. Just kill I... me. So I wrote down some like notes uh, during the movie while we were watching them. I paid attention, of course, but I've seen them so many times, you know. I know them like the back of my head. I'm trying not to bring any of the other series into it, or the uh, like the prequels or the sequels, just how it influences it. But just some things that I noticed that they kind of, you know, call back on. I guess you could say. So like Luke, when you're first introduced to him. He's he's whiny just like his father. Like, you know, he's like, oh, I want to go to the or go to the Tashi station to get some power converters. You know, he's he's so out of this farm thing. Like, he's he just wants to go out and explore. 
and that's kind of how his father was when he was a young kid. And so, like, I think it's... Everybody was complaining of how Anakin was so whiny in the prequels, but I think there was no other way to do it because the way you made Luke, you know? Yeah, I could see that. But then I think the reason why I don't think Luke got as much hate for that is because I think it was definitely... He wasn't as whiny as uh, young Anakin. I don't know. I, th- I think it's also because there's a lot of love attached to the original. Yeah, I can that, see that. That's, that's what I say about it. Just kind of looking through nostalgia glasses. Yep. <laughs> the The main thing I picked up was, you know, Luke being whiny, kind of like his father, and him just wanting to get out and explore. And I, I think it speaks true to just to that era of, like, you know, the baby boomers growing up and just wanting to not be in the same... They don't want to be like their parents and having the same dead-end job or whatever, and they want to go out and explore and do their own thing. Yeah, because if that was the 70s, then a lot of baby boomers would have been, like, in their teenage years seeing Star Wars. Teenage years, early 20s, something like that. Um... So I I think it it definitely has a deeper meaning than just oh space battles oh you know it just for the time of what it was trying to express I I think it's it was a product I think it really is a product of its age yeah and that's what makes it so special so yeah Luke farm boy wants to get out and explore so when you know Luke gets the droids at first starts cleaning them you know they talk about oh they were a part of the Rebel Alliance and stuff and he was like he's so enthusiastic about it. And he's so into it, and he wants to hear everything about it. It shows how much Luke really is infatuated with just the Alliance and wanting to go out there and do greater things for himself. I want, though. I wonder what that would mean for the rest of Star Wars if, like, the rest of the Outer Rim, say, the areas like Tatooine, where, yeah, the local population they just know about the Rebel Alliance, and it's more likely than they're that it's they're just gonna go join it. Yeah, like it's. That's just what's going to happen. Well, because it's like the whole tyrannical government. And a little background, like, I've I've started reading the books, or at least I started reading New Hope. And I got further enough to see that in the books they do a little bit more world building. And you kind of get to know Luke a little bit more and who he hangs around with. And I yes. noticed that you never really see much of his home life you're just kind of introduced to him and then you know he's already out exploring and his aunt and uncle immediately die and then he's just gone you know like yeah. they don't they don't really oh give my you God. time to just figure out what this planet is or what Tatooine is and even in the book because i think that's where i got to was like right after uh uncle owen and aunt beru died um was that's pretty much how far i got in the book but just getting that far, I still I felt like I knew a little bit more than the movies were letting on. In the book, they actually t- like Luke is actually talking with his friends and like they're introduced a little bit. And the only friend that shows up, if you noticed, was at the end yeah. when they're about to do the trench run was Biggs, and he was yeah Biggs one of the was main, just kind of there. Yeah, he was one of the main people that was in the book. And so I noticed that in my most in our most recent watch, I I was glad that they introduced him, but I still feel like the 
the they should have done. I think the books came after the movies, didn't they? Yeah, books came after. Yeah. Well, I mean, Star Wars is an interesting thing because the books came after the movies. Of course, the movies have movies always have to account for that two-hour time crunch. Yeah. When it comes to world building, but so I mean, I think I really think the books came in afterwards to pick up some of the slack that the movies could just couldn't do. I wouldn't say it was necessarily a waste of time uh, to to like introduce his friends. Because again, if you're interested in that world building, I think you would much rather read the books first and then watch the movies. Again, I only got so far in the book, so I can't really compare anything else. But I think that was one of the most notable differences for me. And then, well, and then actually after that, um, in the book, Luke actually goes inside of his uncle's and aunt's house and he sees the corpses inside instead of outside. Which the imagery that they they put in your head while you're reading the book is a lot more darker and a lot more like claustrophobic in a sense because of all that black smoke and you can barely see and you can barely breathe because oh, of it. Oh man. Yeah, so I yeah, it's definitely motivated me after watching the movies to kinda actually read the books because I do enjoy world building and just by a couple chapters into the books and all of that already happening with his friends and then seeing his aunt and uncle you know die it's just so much more entertaining to me i guess yeah i mean well if you're a fan of it then you know the books are there so the holograms i've always wanted to know how they shot the holograms um yeah yeah how did they do that i finally looked it up and it's actually pretty cool especially for the time so what they do is capture multiple angles using about 16 cameras that take an image of the object every second. So like for example Leia, they would put 16 cameras around her and get every angle to get that 3D uh, effect or whatever. And then the 16 views are processed into holographic pixel data by a computer which sends a signal to two pulsed laser beams that then write the data into recording material. During the writing process, the two beams combine to create an inter- interference of pattern of light. So, you know, the, the lines that are going up and down while the hologram yeah. is firing. It kind of, you know, makes it actually look like a hologram instead of like a, just a video of something. And then firing another light with those beams creates the full holographic effect. And, like, that definitely influenced a lot. Yeah, it definitely influenced a lot of movies uh, to do that, and just nineteen. Just think about that time, nineteen seventy-seven. Like you do not see a lot of like three D things then. No wonder this movie was like revolutionary. Come on. Um, and then of course because we watched it on Disney Plus to watch party it. Um, it was of course the special edition, and the one last thing I noticed in New Hope was that Moss Eisley has so much more life to it than it did in the original because they CG'd in so many like new characters and reshoots and animals yeah, yeah. scattering all over the place, you know? Didn't but, they add that whole Java scene at towards the end of Moss Eisley? Yeah, towards the end of the Moss Eisley thing they actually added a deleted scene that they could actually, you know, shoot with Han and uh, Jabba 
Jabba demanding his money from Han, you know, and that whole conversation. Because it, it was, I wouldn't say it's crucial, you know, because it wasn't, they didn't think they were going to do a sequel of Star Wars, necessarily. Like, George Lucas still had, like, a plan in his head for uh, a future with the franchise, if it did take off. But that added scene makes more sense with the sequels after it. So yeah, if but, they I mean, if they added if that at the time, it wouldn't have made much sense. That it, yeah, I can see that. Uh, most of this information that I've I've kind of recollecting is off of the Star Wars documentary Empire of Dreams. So I highly recommend anybody as a Star Wars fan just go watch it, and they show you how they shoot New Hope mostly, and then a little bit of the sequels. But it's definitely worth a watch. Two things: rating the movie New Hope out of ten. I would give it a solid 7, just because it hasn't necessarily aged well, but it was definitely re- revolutionary for the time. I don't know, I because I'm, I'm debating between 7 and 8. Just go with what your heart tells you, homie. I, uh, my heart lies, my heart deceives. <laughs> well, think about it as in the original trilogy. What would like Think about what you would rate the other movies, and then, then go back to New Hope. Well, because I'm I'm always debating if I like Hope or Empire more, because I think they're both like really good. I'll I'll give my case for Empire here in a little bit. I don't know. I thought the Death Star scene looked pretty was pretty fun to watch, so I think I'd give it an eight. Oh, the way they shot that is amazing. And then our favorite scene from the movie from New Hope got a favorite scene that's like asking like what was your favorite part about uh eating garlic bread which bite was your favorite (laughs) my favorite scene would have to be probably the conversation between luke and obi-wan because it really goes deep into the lore and it gives you of course world building i'm probably gonna go on about world building again but like it was a truly defining moment for that film and if there were going to be future films, it's a very important scene, and without it, the movie means nothing. I've got to say, my favorite scene from the movie is the like for, like the first five minutes. That whole ship scene, I think that was perfectly done because what? Because think about it, like what better way? Excuse me, what better way to start out this movie? Then, with some, with this big band music, uh, two ships firing at each other, and then it cuts inside, and you can see the clear distinction between, oh, these are rebels. You can see their faces. You can see them concerned. And then the stormtroopers come in, and then, oh, look, it's big, evil Darth Vader, and he's here for the plans, you know? Yeah, Don't it. Oh my god. It immediately hops in and you're automatically interested with Darth Vader coming after the plans and you're like, what are these plans about? And then, of course, Princess Leia, you know, doing, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Like, who is this? Like, you're immediately sucked in, like, okay, this is it. Like, who are these people? I'm invested. I want to watch more of the movie. So, after the success of New Hope... They decide, okay, let's make a sequel, because George Lucas, like I said, was looking towards a future if there was a future, so he already had something in mind. 
he directed the first movie, of course, and a lot of people assume that he directed the next two movies, but he actually did not. He wrote for them, but he had somebody else direct them. Empire Strikes Back is set three years after A New Hope, and you're kind of just thrown into this snowy planet that looks pretty uninhabitable. Right off the bat, you're like, okay, well, Luke is, you know, just chilling out in the snow. And then you find out, oh, so this is where the rebel base is. They're trying to hide from the Empire. And then, of course, the Empire has all of the resources in the world, so they send out their probe droids. And so it was only a matter of time before the Empire finally found the rebel base. But a couple things that I noticed in this one was that, of course, it was not directed by George Lucas. Again, like New Hope, it throws you right into the action. You're already interested in what the characters are up to. I forgot to mention that actually the three years of after the events of New Hope is simultaneously also th- the movie came out three years after New Hope came out. So Empire came out in 1980. So it, it kind of simulated the real three yeah, the real life wait between the, the two. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was really cool. But you notice right off the bat that Luke is more confident. He's enjoying where he's at. He is no longer a farm boy that just feels like he's being pushed around. And he feels like he's involved in, of course, the Rebel Alliance and doing some good in the world. So it was definitely a really good character development for everybody, but more so Luke because he was just, he's very confident. He's hes not, he's not as... It, I don't think he was necessarily egotistical in New Hope, but he was more selfish about things, like, you know... He was more boyish. Yeah, because he was just, of course, a young teen, and he yeah. very anxious and getting out, of course. Um, I think Empire was the real maturing of Luke Skywalker in preparation for sex. I really did. I enjoyed, I enjoyed Hoth. Like, most of the scenes on Hoth, I really enjoyed. One of the things I actually noticed is that right in the beginning, there's this, it's, it's this feeling that you, because we're the audience, we get to see what the Empire is doing. And we know that the Empire, during this whole point, during the beginning while Luke is uh, out freezing and then getting his lightsaber back and then get, trying to get back to base, during this whole point, Empire, the Empire is just building up. They're gearing up. They're getting ready because they just figured out where the uh, rebels are, and it's just really uneasy feeling. That you know everything is about to just blow up all at once because you get to see what the Empire is doing, and the rebels have no idea until it's almost too late. And yeah. I thought that was really cool. What do they call that? It's like dramatic something so yeah it's kind of like a dramatic irony situation where like the viewer knows exactly what's going on with the empire but the rebels have no idea what they're doing after three years you know like they would have to be prepared for anything because they're just this almighty thing throughout the galaxy do we know how long they were actually on hoth because i remember during the start of empire they're still setting out uh, markers for infrastructure. So I don't know how long they actually are 
uh, hiding out on Hoth. Yeah. See, the one thing I wish they kind of explained was, like, what happened during those three years. Like, that would be... It's probably not, not you know, the greatest thing. Yeah, it's still interesting. recouping. They probably have, like, a book or a comic out there that... Yeah. People are just yelling at us about at the moment, so... No, Empire was really good. I just don't know if it's better than 4. They were only at the Echo Base on Hoth for one month. So they yeah, weren't there okay. for long. Yeah. I think they mostly stayed in Yavin. Or where you know wherever the main rebel base was that Darth Vader was trying to find while he was confronting Leia in Episode 4. Wait, was that the moon that uh, during Episode 4? Yeah, I, th- I think Yavin is a Yavin. Yeah, I, I, so. I know it's a moon, but like, were they just holed up there the whole time and the Empire never went after them for that over there? So, I mean, like during that whole point, uh, is the Empire just like, yeah, we know you're right there. We're not going to do anything about it, though. But, if the Empire just left Yavin 4 alone after uh, Episode 4, that did some serious incompetence. Okay, they were in a mobile fleet pretty much the entire time, and they were trying to find a new base, and they eventually found Hoth. They were nomads, pretty much, before they found well, Hoth, yeah. and yeah, only a month before the Empire found them. Wow, and okay, that's pretty efficient, then. So yeah, uh, but anyway, Empire, since they pretty much got greenlit for Empire, and then probably another one after that, I can't remember off the top of my head, they could pretty much establish more lore and be serious about everything. As we noticed while we were watching Empire, it was actually the first Star Wars movie that included the Imperial March. When yeah, we first Imperial see Darth March Vader. Was not in Episode Four. Yeah, it's it's crazy how much uh, Empire Strikes Back established. That was also the first time we had heard about. That we actually got to see the Emperor as well. Yeah. Because in episode four, the only one that was above Vader was Tarkin. Another okay. thing that I noticed in Empire was that they were a little bit more serious, and Vader is a lot more brooding. Like, his voice seems yeah. to be deeper, and he just seems, like, very scary to be around. Like, he was pretty scary to be around, you know, choking out that rebel at the beginning of four. But he's like really set on like getting this these rebels because they're actually fighting back after what twenty three years of being of being just pushed back. Yeah, I get what you mean there, and I I think you really feel that, especially with how he started treating his subordinates. You you didn't really see that in the uh, episode four, but in episode five, you really get to see how the upper echelons of the empire work yeah you see more of like the ranks and who get who bosses who around like because i'm four you pretty much got the conference table with darth vader everybody else all the generals and then of course grand moff tarkin and but then in five it's vader isn't it seemed like vader's in charge oh yeah yeah it really feels like that like for a lot of five it feels like vader is in charge and then finally, he gets a message, and you realize, oh, there's still someone above Vader. Yeah, and of um, course the Emperor, who controls. Imagine, him. 
imagine how that must have felt like who is this guy that's above vader that makes vader kneel and of course with the reshoots of the special edition you have you get the new emperor that we all know from the prequels because the original looked really weird like it just kind of looked like this regular man with like bug eyes like very puffy bug eyes almost oh yeah i see that yeah it's it's kind of odd i have no idea who played the original emperor but they definitely chose very well with the new one just more of a creepy look honestly with the new one empire has like the imperial empire has this really interesting dichotomy where at the very, very top is this force, almost like force evil prophet, but then everyone underneath him, aside from Vader, has no use for it and are very tight. They're very clean, organized, something like that, you know? And then, of course, after they escape Hoth, Luke goes to do his training at Dagobah, meets, of course, one of the most memorable characters, Yoda. Who is just, they went full-blown, as you like to say, Muppet, because it was, of course, Frank Oz, I'm pretty sure, who controlled Yoda. You could really tell what they were were going for when when Yoda was first added. Because, you know, Frank Oz was the biggest puppeteer out there, and he was like, why would you go to anybody else? Why would you get second rate when you could get first grade? Frank Oz, baby. Exactly. Because in the prequels, Yoda's there's just this, not boring, but like very serious person because he's on the Jedi Council. After he's aged and he's like, after his exile or whatever, he's just not really been around very much people, so he just kind of gets all silly. and. Yeah, he, re- he was really a lot more silly in the... Uh... Yeah. I, I think, I think maybe... But he still had that wiseness to... because, you know, him talking about Ben and, like, seeing how eager, almost too eager that Luke was to be ready to be a Jedi. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a perfect balance between, you know, kind of funny and then very serious and very wise Yoda. And then, of course, during this process, Luke tries to calm down, tries to learn the ways of the Force, and then, of course, getting more in touch with the Force, he sees that his friends are going to be in danger. And then this is when we are also introduced to Boba Fett, um, the bounty hunter that the Empire hired. And, oh, man. So, I don't get it. I truly do not get it. This this is what I was saying when I have a hot take and a half. Like, I think Boba Fett is overrated. I genuinely believe that. Now... I'm trying not to spoil too much because you haven't caught up on The Mandalorian. I don't it's care. It's so worth it, though. Anyway, basically, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Mandalorian and you really want to, just kind of skip a little bit. Basically, Mando meets Boba Fett, and they do a lot more to flesh out his character. Because you, you don't really know much about... I but you don't really know much about the bounty hunters. And, like, people... Like, yeah, he's... Like, why do you call him cool? You you barely know anything about this guy. He just he's just sitting there. He's he's like a lackey, basically, still for the Empire. 
I believe that Boba Fett is overrated. Like, I'm I'm probably going to get so much shit for that, but I truly believe he is overrated. Now, if with the whole Boba Fett series coming out soon, I think they're going to flesh out his character a little bit more. But just based off of the original trilogy, he's nothing to get hype about. He, yeah, he doesn't really do a whole lot. Though, I'm trying to think about where I hear most about his hype from. Maybe it's from the expanded universe people who just... Maybe he really fleshed out there in the books or something. I it's don't know. probably the books. That's that's, probably. but like a casual viewer is not going to go out of their way and read the books. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, in the original trilogy, I mean, Django had more. I I'm willing to bet Django had more screen time in Episode Two than Boba Fett did in uh, the entire series in, in Five and Six. So I I think it's it's probably Boba with his dad because he's you know he's literally a clone yeah. of his dad. So I think just the prequels itself expanded that whole thing, and I'm kind of yeah. glad that they did. But like just based off of the original trilogy, because it seemed like a lot of people were still hopping on the Boba Fett train, even though he just immediately dies in six, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But I don't know I. I don't care. I still think he's overrated, but I would just like to see more of him. And that's why I'm glad the series is coming out. Uh, the book yeah, of Boba yeah. Fett or whatever. And of course, the ending, uh, influential for the time and one of the greatest twists in cinema history. Yeah. And that's why Empire is above New Hope because of that twist of... if you If you don't know it, then... I mean, come on, though. It, it's been out long enough. Of course, Darth, you find out Darth Vader is Luke's father, and that's just mind-breaking. Of Like most things, they don't age well, so like that twist has been done so many times and has been parodied so many times that it doesn't necessarily have the same effect. But during that you. time, if you saw that in theaters and, like, true risk of spoilers like you don't have you didn't have a social media back then of course you know there's always that asshole at the local bar that is going to spoil something or says something about it that right there for its time was one of the greatest twists that i wish i could like go back in time and like live that myself empire as a whole and I, I hate to be this like critical about it, but because that twist has been done so many times and it just doesn't have the same effect, I'm going to have to give it an 8. Otherwise, it would be a very strong 9 for me. I've, I think I'd also give, I'd also give it an 8. Like, I, I, just, I think it's as good as uh, New Hope, just in my opinion. The thing is, but, like, you just can't have one without the other. Like, yeah, yeah. you could go New Hope without just knowing that the fact that it has sequels, like, you're like, okay, I need to watch more. And then my favorite scene from Empire would have to be Luke talking to Yoda when he's in Dagobah, and of course, you know, Ben ch- chiming in and telling him that he is ready. Like, that's definitely one of my favorite scenes of all time, just because, you know, it's kind of finding out more about Yoda but also seeing, again, that perfect balance of him being funny earlier and then later being serious and very wise. Yeah. 
my favorite scene still has to go back to that beginning part. I I, I really appreciate when there's tension buildup and like suspense in a film. Yeah. And you could really feel that the uneasiness during the beginning parts of Empire. I really think it did that best. Also, can I just say Empire probably has one of my favorite tracks of Star Wars. The I don't know what it's called, but it's a music that plays when you when the ad ads are coming in off. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Uh, I'd have to hear it. <laughs> I'm a fake fan, sorry. But yeah, which leads us into Return of the Jedi. Which, like... <laughs> what? Everyone's favorite, bro. No one dislikes episode 6 for any reason. Well, at this point in the franchise, it was very obvious that, okay, we can make merchandise off of this. So that's what they did for half of the fucking movie, was an hour of Ewoks and lovable teddy bears. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, So yeah, Return of the Jedi, like I said, it was the first one that I saw. I don't know why specifically that one, but... It takes place one year after the events of Empire Strikes Back, so not as long as, you know, New Hope and Empire, but it still had, in the real world, a three-year wait time. The opening with Darth Vader, you know, flying in, and... Yeah, and you get to see the uh, new Death Star that's, like, only half-built. Yeah, and they start talking about the new Death Star, and then, of course, the Emperor... And then, of course, it transitions to the lovable characters of C-3PO and R2-D2, which I forgot to mention that C-3PO roasts R2-D2 the entire trilogy, and it's just hilarious. I really like the whole dynamic. I think it really works that you can only understand one of the two the whole time. So yeah. you just have to assume. You have to both take whatever 3PO says with a grain of salt. But at the same time, that's the only thing you got going. Yeah. It's like one of the greatest duos in cinema history, and probably any history of duos. It's just definitely top five right there. You see the the first showing of Luke with the hologram that pops up from R2-D2, and it is like, the again, the evolution of Luke he is now more calm and composed now that he is one with the Force, pretty much. And, again, what kind of took us aback was it's only one year after the events of of the uh, of Empire Strikes Back. And it's obvious that, you know, when Luke revisits Yoda, um, that he didn't go back to Dagobah immediately after the events of Empire. So Luke was pretty much on his own learning how to train. And a lot of people assume that he was just kind of like, with the force and like having Ben kind of speak to him during all of his training instead of him having to go back to Yoda. But to learn that much and become that calm and composed and one with the force, it just shows again, he is the son of Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, you know, one of the most powerful Jedi's ever. And for him to learn that fast is just amazing. Well, I think the, the fight with Vader during, I was a wake up was a real wake up call for him. 
and I think that was the real motivator to actually take everything seriously. So I really think, like, just a year was... I, I could really see him crunching it out in a year. Oh god, I'm gonna... This is gonna be a real... This is gonna be a real one. How do we calculate years in Star Wars? A standard week was five days. Oh, so it was actually shorter than And months. each month was seven weeks, making 35 standard days each month. Oh, okay. Uh, a standard year was 368 days, composed of 10 months and three holidays. So, yeah. Interesting. I've, I've never actually knew that. that that's a little tidbit out there. If, if you didn't know that about Star Wars, there you go. So, yeah, the whole Jabba scene, of course, Leia snaking in, getting Han from the cryo freeze which we didn't even talk about at all during empire but yeah i, I think it's fine um i think we, my, most of that was just part, boba fett my favorite part about the hot scene as soon as he wakes up and he sees java the first thing he starts doing is trying to bargain <laughs> like, come on i i know we'll get like the first thing you do when you know java's there is like Come on, we can talk about it. <laughs> well, because I, for Han, it was like immediately, you know, when you go and cryo-freeze, it seems like you wake up like no time has passed, but in the outside world, it has. So, of course, all that happens, and then Luke tries to come and save everybody, and tries to bargain with Jabba as well, uh, bargain with Jabba's life, pretty much. And then, of course, Sarlacc Pit, Boba Fett gets unintentionally hit by a semi-blind Han still and Boba Fett but once again shows how underwhelming he is as a character but again with the whole world building and with him showing up in the Mandalorian it shows that he evaded the Sarlacc pit somehow because god forbid anyone actually die in this series (laughs) Darth Maul, the Emperor Boba Fett yeah. Like, no one is sacred. So yeah, after that, then you got Luke going back to Yoda, talking about, why didn't you tell me that Vader was my father, and all that. And, of course, the normal, to keep you safe, bro. And then, of my- course, explains to him about Leia being his sister. Or he, he never specifies Leia, actually. He just says, there's another Skywalker. And then... Luke realizes, you know, the connection that he has with Leia. It's more of a sisterly thing than it is. Because, like, of course, he's... Now that he's in touch with the Force, he can, like, feel that. Instead of, like, when he was a teenager, he was like, Oh, she's pretty. I want to I wanna love on her a little bit. Um, you know what we mean. You know what we mean. <laughs> Once again, shows the development of Luke. And then Yoda passes away. And just... It is now Luke's mission to just go confront his father, you know, help the Rebel Alliances dismantle the Empire. But his main goal is very obvious, that he just wants to convert his father because he can sense that little bit of good in him. That was interesting how disconnected he really became from the Rebellion in 6. Yeah. Because he was set, like, he he helped the Rebellion for the past two movies, you know? Like, he, he felt that he had done his part, now he's finally allowed to do his own endeavors. Which, again, kind of going back to his boyish, selfish type thing, but in a more respectable, grown-up type of way. 
or they find out about the Death Star number two, and then they find out that the the shield generator is on Endor, and they have to go there. They know little to nothing about it other than it's a moon or a forest moon, and it probably has a whole bunch of uh, Empire soldiers on there. And of course, that really just came up out of nowhere. So I know it gets explained later on in the movie. Really, once Luke returns from Dagobah, it's like, oh hey, we just know about the second Death Star. Yeah, okay. it's just kind of. It, well, they, they they like explain that it's like uh, they had spies pretty much the entire time out searching, and they just brought us back the information. Well, then it also reveals that the Emperor deliberately spoon-fed them enough information to lure them into a trap. Well, that's because, you know, we finally get to see the Emperor in person, and you get and you see that he's solely focused on trying to turn Luke to the dark side now that Vader has pretty much spilled the beans um, about their relationship. It, it, again, it's a trap. <laughs> like, it's, it's literally a trap. So yeah, they land on Endor with the intention of trapping the Rebel Alliance, and then Luke finally confront finds his father on Endor, confronts him, and then or Luke is like, "Yeah, you're not gonna turn me into the Emperor." And he's like, "Well, too bad because you told me not to. I'm gonna do it." And that's what Vader does. And then the Emperor is like, "Yeah, your friends are getting killed, eh? Come to the dark side now, homie." <laughs> Come to the dark side. We have cookies. We have cookies. Um. So yeah, they introduce the Ewoks at Endor, and they help. They become friendly with the Rebels. The Rebels can see they can rely on them, at least a little bit, even though they're a primitive species. But it was pretty yeah. obvious that the franchise has gotten to the point where, okay, let's merchandise this to the kids. Because Lucas really... was He wasn't necessarily aiming towards like very older adults. He was mostly like to like teenagers originally, Teenager. and then... It's the age kind of just declined with the amount of merchandising and all that. Six was aiming for a younger audience. Yeah, with the Ewoks, and literally, like I said, they devote a whole hour just to be on Endor, and it's just ridiculous. Oh my! They spent too much time on it. Yeah, yeah, way too much time. They easily could have cut a lot. Because, like, every time I would be into the story and, like, the Imp and Luke and Vader talking and then immediately switching into the story, I'm like, I don't care. I want to see what's happening with Luke, you know? I, I think it was better in every way. But you, you, needed, you needed to see Endor because Endor was where the shield was. And so, of course, that's a critical plot piece. Yeah, exactly. So finally, Luke has had enough of it, of the taunting, and then... He's about to strike the Emperor down, and then, of course, Vader steps in. They have their duel, which is phenomenal. And they have, like, Luke is like, oh, you you still have good in you. You know, you you still have feelings and stuff. And he's like, he's like your mind is distracted. And then Vader turns the tables on him, and or pulls the reverse Uno card, and is like, oh, your mind is distracted on your friends still. And particularly about uh, one of them, Leia. And that's when Luke, as soon as he mentions Leia, that's when Luke snaps. And he just goes all out on his father. And then, of course, cuts his hand off. Luke takes a closer look and sees that, again, his father is more a machine than man, as Obi-Wan liked to put it. 
and they had that you know the hand thing in common, which it, like, of course gets more expanded upon in the prequels. But then Luke realizes, oh yeah, I just did that out of anger. I'm sorry, and then he turns it on the em emperor, and is like, yo, he's my father. I'm not gonna kill him. It's over, bro. So yeah, it's it's very obvious during the course of the movie that Vader is just starting to break and he's like after he spilled the beans to his son and how he almost got him to turn to the dark side, you know. He's like I I Luke was right. He does sense the good in him and he still has it in him, but it's still so far along of him being in the dark side like there's just no reasonable explanation to bring him back because he he cannot live without that suit. Otherwise, you know, as we see at the end, he's dead once he takes the mask off. Because it helps him breathe and basically yeah, live. Yeah, he dies. But yeah, so the Emperor is like, yo, I'm gonna fry you, homie. And uh, <laughs> then Vader is just sitting there trying to contemplate things. And he's like, I'm about to die. I might as well stand up for my son. Steps in the way, picks up the Emperor, throws him down in the Death Star... When did, oh, I'm trying to think about that. When did Vader actually start dying? Did he start dying? But when his hand was chopped off, was it when he got electrocuted by the Emperor? When did Vader I actually? I think he was in critical condition when his hand was chopped off. But like it really like because you know the Whatever. Emperor was basically charging up his electricity and like you know Vader didn't step in until after. He said, okay, now you're about to die. So at that point, the Emperor was like full power. And so after Vader picking him up and just taking all of that, throws him down, and yeah. like he's just, he's out of it. It's very obvious that he's just fried to bits. Throws the Emperor down. Yeah, he's supposed to be dead, right? Uh, well, that's what we thought for. 30, 40 years, or 30 years, you know, but uh, let's let's change that, you know. But that's that's a, another story for another day. Um, Of course, the father-to-son talk, and Luke is like, no, I can save you. There's a lot of semantics. I know it's a lot of semantics, but I think it, it all really came in when he was yeah, you did save me, but I'm going to die Anakin, not Vader. Yeah, you exactly. Know? And that was probably the best send off for him, and it, you know, gave closure to Luke and everybody else pretty much. And then Hayden Christensen shows up. <laughs> yeah, as the ghost, because you know, special edition, retroactively changing things. Let's go. Return of the Jedi. It's still, I'd say, the last thirty minutes is, well, not even. I'd say the last twenty minutes, really. Bas basically, whenever Luke confronts the Emperor and all that to the end of the movie, that's phenomenal that, that is the best part of the movie and that is the reason you should watch it even just to power through Endor and all that stuff yeah you, you just really gotta power through Ewok um so for the return of the Jedi because of how long the Endor scenes are I think I would also give it about as equal as New Hope probably a little bit lower than a seven probably a six and a half but I don't want it I don't feel like doing halves here so a, a very low seven, but still a pretty solid movie. I'd have to agree with you on that one. I think the movie is very much 
like in two halves, I found it very jarring. Because yeah, the pacing is very off. It's very off. Four and five are like up here, and then six is yeah, it's still good, but it's not four and five. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's still a great send off to the original trilogy. Yeah. So. And then, but then, who can forget in the in the remake they added Gungans in the pool. Yeah, in the special edition, they basically saw Naboo, Coruscant, all the retroactive, you know, planets that they introduced in the prequels, celebrating now that the Empire is dismantled and all that, which isn't mm-hmm. bad, but like, so yeah. favorite scene for Return of the Jedi, I would definitely have to say just the entirety, all the scenes that include the Emperor, Luke, Vader. and Vader in the same room. I I really gotta agree with you, like that whole that whole part of the movie saved it really. Definitely. Because pretty much because that was probably the most mature part about the movie. Like everything else started getting really childish. Uh, but yeah. The original trilogy, really good, still amazing. We'll never give up on it. Um No. But as you have noticed, we're definitely gonna break this Star Wars franchise down into three parts. This is, of course, the original trilogy episode. I'm planning on doing a prequel episode, and then, of course, a sequel episode. Star Wars highly recommend. If you, I'm surprised if you are just in remotely interested in space and just good movies in general. Well, I guess that does it here for us on Opinionated. I have been your host, Nate Crouch. It's been great to be here as a guest again, now that all the uh, craziness of summer's died down. But, uh, yeah, this was really fun. Yeah, definitely. Got the Opinionated Instagram out there. I created the Opinionated Twitter. I have an official business email now that is on my bios of all that. Uh, and then pretty much wherever you listen to your podcasts, I'm on there. Just, you know, search Opinionated, and it's all there. Should be. Might might take a little bit digging around, because, you know, it's still a small time. But thank you guys so much for listening. This has been the Opinionated Podcast.